This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. There's two options there, Jay, whatever you want to type into your URL machine, your HTTPS document line. Speaking of, we have a new patron. I should have mentioned this last week, but I was lazy in my notes. Uh, G Vaughn. Welcome, G Vaughn. Hi. Welcome to the program. Thanks for supporting us. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, you can hang out with us at Patreon. You can also hang out with us at Discord. That's where all the chatter happens, where we talk about fun things like, uh, what was that? What was recent discussions there was fun, Jay, at our Discord page. I'm still trying to catch up with all the, uh, boogie metal that, you and Waterman have found. Yeah, we found a lot of boogie metal, a lot of 70s, <laughs> psychedelic, uh, acid-tinged boogie metal from the UK, some German. Uh, we like our German, a little kraut rock in there. And uh, it's it's fun. You get some get some really weird stuff. I've gone some, down some rabbit holes that I, I wish I hadn't gone down uh, that have, have actually scared me because <laughs> they were clearly satanic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But there was some good album artwork I got out of it, at least. Uh, I was trying of, to. Speaking of satanic music, I was recently trying to <laughs> turn everybody onto the uh, Witch Skull album. Oh, were you on Discord? Yeah. Is that like Witch Taint? No. It's more of a skull. More of a skull than a taint. Okay. Well, this has gone in a terrible direction <laughs> uh, to start out. I was going to say, speaking of Patreon, we have one of our patrons here joining us for the first time, actually, from the West Coast, as they say, Rudy Stowell. Stowell? I didn't ask before time, and I always slaughter everybody's name, so welcome <laughs> to the club. Well, I feel like I'm part of the club because you've butchered my name, Tim, and that's one of my favorite parts of the show, to be honest with you. <laughs> that's why I'm a patron, is because I wanted to... Now I feel like I've arrived, so thank you very much. You have arrived. <laughs> you've been initiated. <laughs> I love uh, it. I Love your guys' show, and I'm I'm happy to be part of it. Awesome. Well, thank you for suggesting a record that uh, neither of Jay and I uh, have done before or know really much about. Um, I I was familiar, and I'm, I'm gonna let you get to introduce the record because I like to let the guests tell us the record that they picked. But I only knew the name; like I had never listened to this band. So, and I knew that they were well respected um in the 90s from both an underground and then also signing the virgin with a, a big deal um so why don't you I'll, I'll stop speaking cryptically why don't you share with the audience the album you picked and why you picked it well i picked cats and dogs by royal trucks and i got into royal trucks from and i'm going to talk like an old guy here because i am an old guy i'm born in 1964 and there was a time kids that there wasn't this internet thing and you had to get all your information from fanzines or spin spin used to be very influential and i remember there's an article on the label drag city 
and the whoever the guy was that ran Drag City raved on and on about Royal Trucks. So this album was brand new at the time. I think it was in 93 when it came out and I bought it and then did what research I could on it. Found out that Neil Haggerty, the Miss Neil Haggerty and Jennifer Harima, and Neil was the guitarist in Pussy Galore, which was a indie garage rock band that anybody who was anybody loved. I don't know that I ever heard anything by him, but everybody loved the name. And got really into, got really into, went into this Royal Trucks, you know, wormhole or something for a while. It was very different than what was out there. It was very into grunge, huge Soundgarden fan, obviously, Nirvana, all of that. And this was just very different. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not speaking out of school because it's well publicized. The two had their adventures in the worlds of heroin. And I think sometimes that bleeds through in some of the music. I, I could have really thrown you guys a curveball and suggested Twin Infinitives, which is the album that came out a few years before that, but it's pretty much unlistenable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sampled. Because um, I, I had known the name for a long time, but I, I couldn't tell you what they sounded like. So I had listened to this album a couple times, and I was like, well, I should probably sample the rest of the catalog because I need to get an idea of, like, is this an evolution point for the band? Is this... Uh, is, is this you know, wh where does this fall? And I, and I got to hear uh, where this record lies. And, and yes, we would have had trouble <laughs> with that record, um, to say the least. <laughs> it, yeah, it is an interesting experiment, for sure. I, I have it on CD, and I don't know that I've ever made it through the entire thing. And that's even <laughs> under the influence of some Schedule ones on occasion. <laughs> and I still was not able to get completely through it. Um, Jay, have you are are you familiar with Royal Trucks? Have you listened to them before? I I was like you. It's just a band that was always mentioned. I I always get when I think of them, I think of like John Spencer and like Boss Hog and like a bunch of other bands that were sort of maybe right. sound like them or not, but like are kind of in my memory clustered together into kind of a you know a bluesy lo-fi kind of um, sound from the right. from the '80s. So I'm going to give you a little history on Royal Trucks. And actually, I can connect this back to Columbus, uh, which I always have fun whenever I can connect something back to Columbus. History of the band. So Royal Trucks formed in 87, as was mentioned, Neil Haggerty and Jennifer Harema. Harema? Is that how you say it? Harema. Um, Harema. Um, So... Haggerty had been, as a teenager uh, from D.C., he moved to New York to play with Pussy Galore, led by John Spencer. Interesting fact, before John played or had Pussy Galore, he was in a band in Columbus for one album by the Gibson Brothers, which is a lo-fi alt-country band. Like, not, we're talking Uncle Tupelo or, or Sunvolt or Wilco. We're talking, like, traditional country, but with, like, fuzzed-out guitars and, and like, stand-up drums, like one snare drum. Um, the Gibson Brothers were around for the entire 80s, but he only played on one record. They had a, a lot of lineup changes over the years. And then Don Howland, who was in that band, went on to form um, the Bass Holes, which is a uh, another sort of legendary lo-fi band um, that put out stuff on Sympathy for the Record label and in the Red Records and, and stuff like that. So anyway, so uh, after leaving, uh, there is a, a, a note about when he was when Haggerty was in 
Pussy Galore, he was the one that convinced the band to do a cassette track-by-track recording of the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street. I don't know, what was it with people obsessed with Exile on Main Street? Because, you know, Liz Fair famously did Exile in Guyville. Um, seemed like a lot of people were obsessed with that record that, like, I, I like it. I mean, it's it's probably my top 10, or not top 10, in my top five Rolling Stone records, but it's not like, I don't worship it, but apparently a lot of people take it very seriously. <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. Uh, yeah, I, I think they felt like the Rolling Stones got back to their roots on it or something. I'm not not particularly a Stones fan, so I'm, it's kind of lost on me too. Um, so as you mentioned, they put out their debut in 88, then Twin Infinitives came out in 1990, then Untitled, uh, which is also referred to as, I think, Skulls, because of the cover, that came out in 1992. Um, and the uh, Twin Infinitives, Untitled, those were both on Drag City slash, well, Drag City and then Untitled was on Domino. And then this record, Cats and Dogs, released in 1993, June of 93 to be exact, was released also on Drag City Domino. They would sign then a $1 million deal with Virgin EMI to release three records, which they promptly turned into a recording studio of their own um which is always the smart thing to do. It's the smart move. You, you, who else did that? Was it like the Blue Meanies, or there was like five or six bands that rocked from the crypt, and they took Alan Johannes. Remember Alan Johannes? I mean, he's built a whole career on on that. Yeah, taking his advance and building the studio. Now he's a sort of lifelong musician producer. Yeah, doing Call of Duty soundtracks for for video games. Working, working. Uh, so they released Thank You on Virgin EMI in 1995, Sweet 16 in 1997. Then there were some contractual issues. Uh, Virgin was like, hey, give us a record. And they were like, yeah, we don't know about that. And uh, they ended up releasing the next record, Accelerator, on Drag City Domino. Now, they, it's referred to as a trilogy of records by Neil Haggerty. Thank You is their 60s record. Sweet 16 is their 70s record, and Accelerator is their 80s record. And then in 1999, they released Veterans of Disorder on Drag City Domino. 2000, they released Pound for Pound on Drag City Domino. And then they released an album, or or Drag City did in 2002, that they recorded in 1989 called Hand of Glory. And then they reunited. They were separated for a number of years. They went on to do separate bands. Uh, Haggerty in The Howling Hex. Uh, Harema in... Did I pronounce it? I'm never going to pronounce Harima. it. Harema. Harema. Rhymes with heroin. Rhymes with heroin. Harima. <laughs> exactly. That's how I remembered it when you said it. I was like, oh, that sounds like heroin. And she was in a band called RTX, but then they, they reformed to release White Stuff in 2019 there's also some compilation singles live unreleased came out in 1997 on drag city platinum tips and ice cream came out in 2017 quantum entanglement 2020 on fat possum records which has also re-released all the records that were on drag city the only the i think the virgin records have not been uh reissued 
and then there are some singles and EPs and and stuff like that. So let's go to over to our Patreon comments. We'll we'll release the poll information at the end of this, but let's see some comments here on this episode. Richard Waterman said, like a cross between pavement and Sonic Youth, I am a fan of this album and it's lo-fi rugged indie charm, but prefer the follow-up major label effort. Thank you. There are more, there are more alternative rock, hard rock and cleaner sounds on that one. Also veterans of disorder, 1999 were as accessible as they got were the album. Willie Dillon, maybe it's because I'm not in a good mood, but I think it's just a bit too sloppy and lo-fi for me. Gavin said, so I like the general sound of Royal Trucks. I always thought it would be cooler if I was in. I always thought I would be cooler if I was into them. But ultimately, without mincing words, they just fuck around too much to need a whole album. Feels unresolved. Gavin, dropping an F-bomb. Take it to Discord. Take it to Discord. I didn't think they had that word in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> he said that he should have said they, I don't know what they say down there. Uh, Kyle Biltner said, sounded like a bunch of John Spencer blues explosion demos. I didn't mind some of the instrumentation, but it dragged a bit. I also didn't like the overdubbed dual vocals. Darren Lehman, I can hear the influence Royal Truck has had on other indie rock artists, and they clearly make music without giving a fudge. See, now Darren Lehman knows to drop the fudge right uh, without giving a fudge about what anybody else thinks i respect that sonically there is some very interesting ideas and sound experiments here but it lacks cohesion and overall and melody overall mike Ciaravino, i definitely dig this album i find much of it reminiscent of pavement and early era beck it meanders quite a bit and feels unfocused throughout which makes it more of a background album for me Good to throw on when I draw. I love the rough sound and production of, uh, and the Spectre is one of my favorite songs by them, but I ultimately settled on a better EP because I don't revisit the, this album that often. All right. It's a, a level headed non F bomb take from Mike there. So thank you for that. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about cats and dogs, not by Catherine wheel, but by Royal Trucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds. It, well, you know what's interesting? It as I listen to this more and more, I started to interpret it almost like a conversation between two people, like both in the way they sing, which I think a couple of people mentioned. So there's often dual vocals. Um, yeah. Sometimes they get close to a harmony, and sometimes they're just singing with different voices, the same things. And there's a level of accuracy there that varies. <laughs> so sometimes they're like pretty dead on. And then other times they're obviously off with the phrasing. And so it ends up being like this between that and then the way the guitars are done. So like you get some guitars that are um, like two riffs, but they're like alternating riffs or you'll get like two uh, like kind of guitar lines that are, bouncing off back and forth of each other so you get this like ping pong effect especially in headphones where it sounds like two people talking to each other through the whole record both vocally and through the music which is is really pretty interesting i ran into jimmy out there he's my person 
The aesthetic, you know, that they tend to use is like this bluesy kind of, I guess, alternative tinge take on, you know, on rock, but it's also, you know, pretty lo-fi and like raw. You can tell they're not super precise. You know, they're almost has a four track quality to it in terms of like, these are raw ideas or that's the way it sort of feels. Um, and not overly, you know, perfect or um, even from a performance standpoint, like some of the drum stuff is like, there'll be fills or tempo changes that are just like, wow, okay. <laughs> that is definitely live. Um, but I think that adds to the, to the idea that, you know, this is like, you can imagine like maybe two people who live together, you know, sort of like, intertwining conversations and like, Hey, this is an idea I'm working on. And it's like spontaneous and, um, not overly thought and just trying to trying their best to capture that moment of inspiration, which to me, I, I think the, probably the most known example of that is like the biggest would be like throwing stones. So at, at times when this works, I get this almost like these little brief moments of the spirit of of that band and like how they put songs together and like they sound like demo early demo versions, <laughs> but like little pieces and parts um, of that. And then with throughout that, the, the last thing would just be, you know, they cover other genre or other styles or feels. So, you know, some stuff will sound a little bit almost metal. You'll get a little bit of like almost ZZ top kind of like bluesy kind of riffs. And then you'll just get some like alternative rock. So like a song like, um, oh, which one was it? Is it Up the Sleeve? I could definitely hear that as being a Smashing Pumpkin song. Like if you took that song idea and gave it to that band, like if they could play that and it would sound totally like one of their songs. On my borrowed door Something on the cast So you do get some moments that maybe that's the album after this gets a little bit further based on some of the comments, but you definitely get that sort of like early nineties alternative kind of sound as well. So that's some of the stuff that, that stood out to me is, is being interesting. What about you, Tim? Well, I, that your notes on the, on the vocals is interesting because I definitely got that vibe. I mean, there's, I've, heard the comparisons or I read the comparisons to like pavement in terms of there would be like overlapping vocals where, where they're, they're not really in sync 
Like they might be doing the same thing, but there are times when on this record they're singing similar lyrics, but she changes them slightly. So they're off kilter, um, which does provide a, like a nice weirdness that makes it a little like, um, just keeps you off kilter. Like it, it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't conform to like a, a very strict, um, well, rhyme could, could scheme. Your brain is like, Oh, this is what's going to happen. But right. then the other singer is doing something a little bit different, but close enough that you can keep following it. Well, I, w- uh, I, always, I always compared them to X. X has got that same thing with Johnny Doe and Exine Cervenka, yeah. that tension between their voices, but to a, to an absolute another level from that, because they're totally not in sync. Like Jay was saying a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of those things that I had to find the first time I listened to the album, I was kind of like, what the hell? But it grew on me over the years. I think the thing that helped me with, um, with the guitar playing was actually the, the, the weird deep dive I've been doing on like seventies psychedelic, you know, British, uh, blues and, you know, the easy comparison is that when he plays like some of the slide stuff on this record, it has like a traveling Riverside blues kind of feel to it, but in his sort of, uh, you know, lo-fi sloppier take, but I was definitely hearing, you know, it was mentioned that the the record before this or, or two records before this, it was, it was pretty much like a noise collage kind of thing. It was not, and you only get that on really one track on this record. Um, what is it? It's uh, the third track, Friends, yeah, um, which I, which sounds like a, basically sounds like a Sonic Youth song, yeah. um, and I I I was able to pick up like, oh, okay, he's this is you know in some ways like, you know how grunge bands got that like Black Flag meets Black Sabbath. That's what what grunge was. Um, this is like Zeppelin meets Velvet Underground it, it, to me. Like it's got that like, dr- you know, there's songs where they're dr- it's like droney and uh, with and, and obviously drug influenced. But then there is this bluesy element that's going on that I, I especially liked it when he let it rip. Uh, I didn't when he was just sort of like there'd be verses or something where he's just like noodling around and and it's it's not quite as interesting because it doesn't have like a a point not 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 that it doesn't have a point it doesn't have like a uh, a a solid comparison it just sort of sounds like noodling but when I can hear where his riffing is coming from like oh okay that that sounds like mick taylor on uh, on one of those like stripped down exile on may street songs um where it's just this like really dirty dirgy blues then i can kind of get it now they're obviously cycling this through a very lo-fi um palette of of recording and there's no bass on this record and um so it's coming at it from a different angle but it's interesting to hear in 1993, this or, or what was released in 1993, this take on basically 70s psychedelic blues, um, but without like the grandiose production or, you know, having a, you know, they would have in the 70s there would be like an organist, 
you know, you'd have your John Lord organist going on in the background doing flourishes and you'd have your, your drummer, your crazy drummer. And, um, this strips all that away and just gets down to this very nasty blues sound, which is completely, I, I wasn't expecting that. Like I, I, from what I had read about Royal trucks before I ever heard them, I was expecting this to be a little bit more John Spencer in the sense that John Spencer is almost like doing an act in, in some ways. And this doesn't feel like that. So I can understand why Neil Haggerty would want to get out of that because he's trying to do something a little bit more grounded. So I think, well, I think, I think we were hitting on it. It's the record seems brutally honest and one of the things that really struck me are the lyrics and that takes a while from the first time you listen to it to really let it sink in but they have a real economy with their lyrics they're very descriptive so like turn of the century the if you hand me my cape and my dog-headed cane that's a short verse but it brings a million images into your mind Mm -hmm. and that that song in particular is just so kind of druggy and drifting around and you just have this this it gives you this feeling of it it seems they seem to be able to and i don't know all the songs they say are written by both of them and i don't know who the main lyricist is but the lyrics are are really if you do a deeper look into them are are really really well done and they they conjure a lot of images with without a lot of words which is difficult to do if you have me my cake my dog get a cane So what is the thing that works best for you that brings you back to listening to this record? I just, the, what we just said, it just, it's a very honest, very stripped down. It's one of those, it's one of the albums that I'll put on if people are around that have never heard it, that they ask, there's a few bands like that. Um, the Black Angels is another one. If I put on Black Angels, people will come up to you and go, what, what, what is that you're listening to? And if I put this on around people that haven't heard it before, they'll come and go, what, what is this? And, then, and they're not even sure what time it's from. It's like, oh, is this something from the early 90s? You know, they think it might be something that I took off or that I downloaded off the internet that some kids are playing around or something. So there's, there's something about it that comes through. There's some level of honesty and just whatever makes great music, great music comes through it. I'm not going to say it's a great album. In fact, it's only an EP because there's one song on here that I can't tolerate. And we can talk about that later. Oh, I'm curious. I'm going to be curious to <laughs> figure out which one that is. Um, I think in, and also I, I mentioned it briefly with the third track friends, but it was interesting to hear a band that clearly has a Sonic youth influence, but strips away some of the BS that I don't like about Sonic Youth, which is there can be a real like indulgence 
in in Sonic Youth stuff. And for the most part, I mean, there's a couple of long songs in here, but the most part, these are like two minute, three minute long songs, Um, which I wish Sonic Youth back in the late 80s was doing because, you know, I, I get why Daydream Nation and and those albums are great, but man, they're long, like they're just, it's sometimes just too much for me, which is why I gravitate towards the 90s stuff like Dirty and and the records that are more concise, which people don't revere as much. Or I, I even like like rather ripped because it's just like, it's a bit more concise and um, song oriented. Whereas I can't take some of that stuff and this sort of drills down to the basics with it. Yeah, you get peppered in a song like The Spectre, which is very concise like song right it's like they're singing within the first 10 seconds and you've got the sense of the melody and it's like very traditional like in that way and then you kind of get these in you know more explorations so yeah you get a break from the self-indulgence with hey here's an actual song (laughs) we're not gonna overthink it right yeah, that actually the Spectre is actually that's a, probably my favorite song by Royal Trucks. That and Junkie Nurse. I know you've probably heard Junkie Nurse. That's their other semi-hit. The other thing that's interesting about this album, I don't know that I've ever heard any of these songs on college radio or on Sirius or anything like that. I I don't believe I ever have. Yeah. I would imagine like a specialty show might do it, but awesome. I don't think that like Sirius in terms of playing 90s alternative would ever touch this it's it's just first of all there's no bass that would probably turn them (laughs) off i mean uh what's funny is that there there's a song here or there because there's two guitar players i didn't mention it in the um in the history but this is actually a five piece for this band um neil and jennifer are covering vocals and guitar mike kaiser or kaiser is playing guitar along with neil Ian Willers plays drums and then Brian Smith adds some of the percussion that you hear on some of the tracks. So there's no bass, but every once in a while, I don't know if it's Neil or Mike, but one of the guitars plays a really low note or a chord and it almost sounds like a fuzzed out bass. And it made me go, Oh, I wish this had like in the way that like Steve McDonald put down bass for uh, white blood cells or for the white stripes. Um, it almost makes me wish that somebody would play bass on this record. Cause I'm like, I bet there'd be some good bass riffs to go on this. So Jay, what does not work for you on this album? Well, I think the, you're hitting one of the things there with the bass. Um, like when on hot, hot and cold skulls at the end of that song, all of a sudden they bring in like a synth bass or a keyboard of some kind. And you, you yeah. immediately hear it. Like, like you're like underneath they're like ooh <laughs> like there's little there's some sub frequency here this is interesting okay so yep. those little that and like you mentioned there's some you know guitar parts that are definitely like lower register that get near bass which just makes me just want bass um right and i just think that in a, in a little bit more i think the drumming I'm a little like confused what they're trying to do with the drums on this record. So some of the songs like the Spectre just has like percussion in it. It works great. Um, and then other songs where they bring in the drums in, there's parts that work great. And there's other parts where 
they're kind of not the point. So I would prefer like some pretty clear point of view on like, what are we going to do with drums? Like, do we really need them um, or not? And if we're going to have them, let's like, you know, figure out what role they play in the song. You know, there's some songs where it's clear and there's other songs where you're like, the drums are so distant and so lo-fi, they don't even really need to be here. Um, so I can't help but imagine, you know, with a, with bass and either solid drumming or a different take on how to do the drums, like loops or percussion or whatever, um, that that would then, I think the looseness of everything else would then, I think not be as polarizing or so difficult. You know, this is a challenging record to kind of like took a lot of listens to really absorb everything that was going on and kind of ground myself in it. And I just mm-hmm. think that at least with the bass and or the drums being sorted out and being really like, you know, pretty solid in there, it would help just create the glue to stick everything else onto. And then everything else could be kind of loose and, you know, a little bit more, it could be ragged like it is, but it would, you could be ground yourself initially when you first listen to the record and sort of like, okay, I mean, I can pick up on the bass line, right. And kind of follow that, or I can pick up on the drum part and follow that. So, you know, that, that aspect was probably the biggest there's some times where, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the explorations, you know, um, and then, you know, the vocals are, are in and out for me. Like I get the concept, but there's, it makes it really challenging. Like there's just sometimes where they're so off that it hurts. It like, it confuses my brain. <laughs> my brain's like, I just want to listen to one of them. And I got two and like, I'm constantly bouncing. I, I think yeah. that's kind of the point, but it's it just it's again another one of those things that makes it inter- interesting, but it also makes it challenging. So that's that's some of the stuff. I I agree with you on the on the drumming versus percussion. Like I think the last song, um, driving in that car with the eagle on the hood, which again there's a synth in that song, and nobody is credited to playing synth on the liner notes for this record, which is very weird. Apparently, oh, yeah. the synth just sewed up and played itself. Um, but I really like the vibe of that last song. It's got like that synth thing going on. And then there's like, somebody's hitting some percussion and there's like a cowbell being hit, but it's not like obnoxious cowbell. And like you mentioned with the specter, like I kind of wish this whole song or this whole album was without a traditional drum kit. And they just looked at different ways to do percussion on each of the songs. Cause it totally would have fit the psychedelic vibe that, is gets put off on some of the records. I mean, like there are some, you know, there's maybe one or two tracks that could have used a full drum kit, but I feel like the record's so dry that the drums just come across as sounding like, I don't, I don't know how, how to put it. Like they sound like they're, they're so fragile that I worry about them. I worry that they're getting hurt. (laughs) That's a funny way to put it. Yeah. Uh, so they sound yeah. like not non-committal to me. It's like I want drums to sound like I'm here with purpose, <laughs> right? You know, and, and they sound like, well, maybe we'll do this, and uh, I don't know. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it. So, I, yeah. I, there's, you know, this is, this is a a tough, and when it what what doesn't work. This is tough because I totally get what they're doing and 
but it's not something I would choose to listen to. But if it was on, like you mentioned about it not being on the radio, if I if I had on like the serious 80s college station or 90s college station and this came on, I would just leave it on. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I don't want to listen to that. Um, especially when when Neil Haggerty is doing one of his, you know, slide stuff, uh, guitar parts like those to me are the coolest things that he does on here. Um, so it's like in that in between where, yeah, I have no intention of like intentionally <laughs> putting this on, <laughs> but it's not something that like I'm offended by. It's in that like middle ground of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, now you mentioned that there was a song Rudy that did not work for you in any way, shape or form. Yeah. What is that? You, you just mentioned it. The last song driving in the car with the Eagle. Really? On. That is just filler. They, I, it might've been left over from twin infinitives and it was probably that's, I suggested this album and I voted EP on it because that <laughs> song is just, I, and I've listened to this album dozens and dozens, maybe a hundred times over the years. And that song, <laughs> I just click it off by the time it gets to the, to the last song there. It's just, it's a, uh, I think it's just throwaway. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like Bad Mazzy Star. sounds drug induced <laughs> now i i do think it should be like two minutes i think if it was two minutes and in the middle of the record it would work better well i i, I think i used the, I, I did use the word honesty before i don't that song to me just feels like uh, we got to round this album out let's do something really quick i mean at one part neil's going driving in that car baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, he's not ready to nod off <laughs> yeah what, what else you so you're rating it as an ep so that's you know, there's a couple other tunes there. What doesn't work for you? I actually like all the songs except for except for driving in the car with Eagle on the Hood. And it's oh, okay. It's one of those, yeah. It I don't know how to sex up. And like you're saying, most of the songs are two or three minutes. They're they come with an idea or a riff and then they kind of round it out. I think like you're saying, the Spectre is that's a great song. That's a great tight little song with the bongos in there and everything. It's just something you can sing along to. Uh I have a cat named Scamper and I've sung this song to her for 14 years. You know, my faith, <laughs> my faith is in the Scamper. So it's always, it's always going to be around. <laughs> That's funny. Hmm. Well, we sometimes mention this. I, I think it's a good, this would be a good record to talk about it. 1993. I, I was just starting out in my college radio station then. So I can't confirm or deny whether this was getting played. I got to imagine CMJ was on this. Yeah. I mean, this, this was a band that was, had some like cultural underground pull, um, both with the connection to, to Pussy Galore and then Drag City was kind of a, you know, a, a really well-respected indie label putting out snuff by like, 
like Smog and and some other bands that are are all college radio favorites of you know in the nineties and two thousands. So I didn't check CMJ, but I got to imagine they they at least wrote an article up when this came out and and radio programmers at least some more adventurous ones. Like I know our station probably. I'm guessing it wasn't playing it on on the rotation, but maybe one of our specialty like late night shows because there would be people that did like metal, but it was like not Pantera. It was like the really, really heavy, like Scandinavian, (laughs) you know, death metal, black metal metal that was going on like those kind of. So there was probably somebody who was doing like a lo fi show um, and and doing stuff that was more in the vein of this that would have would have covered this, but I can't, uh, there's no place for this in mainstream radio in 1993. I can't mm-hmm. imagine it, Jay. No, no, well, no, apparently Virgin thought there was. Well, but I, don't you think that was part of the, of the, the Nirvana, they were signing everybody that sounded anything alternative yeah. at all. And that was the whole, we were, you know, I, I hate to be that guy that says we were into these guys before anybody, but I mean, we, my friends, I, we went and saw Soundgarden and, February of 1990 at the country club in Reseda. I mean, it was so exciting what was going on. Um, and then when it became mainstream, you know, again, you hate to be that guy that said, you know, uh, now they went mainstream, but it was, it got ridiculous there. They were just signing anybody and, and everybody. And they've always been a, they've always been a critical darling, but I think if they, if they would have had a couple, a little more breakthrough success, they probably wouldn't have been as much, I think because they were mm. so cryptic and hard to get along with. I mean, the album cover for Sweet 16, if you haven't seen it, don't don't try to drink your coffee and look at that album cover. It's <laughs> I mean, they, they try to be offensive in, in a lot of their stuff that they do. Well, now um, I'm going to go look for it. Oh, you got Yeah. The, the album cover Sweet 16. They, in fact, I think at one point. Oh, OK. Yeah, I think I think Virgin actually paid them to go away at one point. I think is, you're I right. Mean, what's more punk rock than that? I mean, come on. That's. <laughs> we we gave you a million dollars to make three records. We're happy with two. Just go away. Go away. That's I think that's essentially what happened. And if you've ever listened to any interviews, so Jenny LSQ interviewed Jennifer, Jennifer Harima uh, in the last couple of years on her podcast. And she's, you know, she's fascinating to listen to. She's all over the board, probably a lot like listening to the album is a lot like what listening to the interview with it. It's kind of all over the place. And it's just, it's a, they're kind of like, like an American Sid and Nancy in some ways. Mm. Well, and she, you know, talk about them being underground, but she was a model yes. in the '90s. Like they were, they were in that weird flux period where, like, people who were completely unknown to mainstream, uh, uh, the mainstream world, were sort of like plucked out by certain taste-making companies and and given a a very broad audience so like she's modeling for calvin klein but then also doing this music which is so below the radar for anybody who would be wearing calvin klein um (laughs) that i I wonder if there was any you know crossover there now what's interesting um our last episode was on um neil young in the 90s and we mentioned that Neil Young spent most of his career up until the nineties recording with David Briggs. They recorded their next record after this with David Briggs. And it was one of the last things he recorded before he passed away. Um, I think within the next year or two. 
Um, so they clearly had, you know, recording with David Briggs, that makes me think of like, oh, okay, like, again, inserting that like 70s psychedelic classic rock sound into it. And I know that that record, um, is it Thank You that he did? Um, I think so. Yeah, yep. that one came out in 95. Um, you know, again, that's I, I have read it and I based on my sampling of the records on Spotify, this is and correct me if I'm wrong. This is kind of a transition record between what they were before and what they were becoming um, on the next couple of records for Virgin, which was they were they were a like a atonal sort of just noise rock without any sort of structure type of thing. And then this record sort of starts to leave that behind. There's still some elements of that in there, but there's much more. There's This is actually song based, whereas on the next record, um, they start to fully embrace like songs from a traditional standpoint. Yeah. And the next three records is what Neil Haggerty said was his trilogy, like you mentioned before. So right. that I never totally got my head around that. But it's one of the attractions to this band. They're very enigmatic. Uh, Neil Haggerty definitely is a great guitar player. I mean, the guy puts out some some great, great riffs and licks. I know you guys are both musicians. I'm not a musician, so I might hear it a little bit differently. I just know what I what I like the sound of. And that's something that's got to it's still it to me, it holds up. But again, that's to an untrained ear. I'm just an old punk rocker. <laughs> <laughs> this is all subjective what uh, you know right i mean it's all based on taste it's not really i mean i can hear what he's doing and i'm like sometimes i'm like okay and then when he rips off some some very bluesy slide part i'm like oh that's that's complicated like yeah. that's not that's not a beginner with a coke bottle that's that's somebody's listened to some records and like knows how to string together some notes so it's not as cut and dry with regards to the playing. I think he it purposely for the sort of aesthetic, he definitely like from a tone standpoint, keeps it pretty lo-fi, but I don't think his playing is particular. Like if you slapped him into uh, with a Marshall and a, and a list Paul, like this would be a pretty blazing record, <laughs> but that's obviously not what he wanted to put across. So it gives no. it a different sound. No, definitely not. And then say if you guys, if this is the first time you've heard it, I bear with me, listen to it a couple more times and let the lyrics sink in. There's something about the lyrics on this that are, there's something special about it. And again, it's a, it's hard to describe, but they definitely um, paint a picture in your mind. It's, uh, I know that they're one, I'm trying to remember the name of the song where they said, she's, I ran into Jimmy out there. He's my personal demon slave. Jimmy, I thought you were dead or in a hex or something like that. He said, how could I be dead when I'm standing right here wearing this bad looking hat? I mean, it just paints this whole picture. Yeah. I mean, I think she's talking about being in a driveway and stuff. And you just see this picture of somebody on the driveway, probably in a drug haze and coming across somebody you thought was dead or, or in a hex or something like that. It's really, really descriptive. Mm -hmm. I'm not a I musician, but I'm a writer, so. <laughs> well, I think as a musician, I connected them to being an influence on what was to come. I mean, I can hear the white stripes in this totally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I can hear the yeah. kills yes. in this, um, especially with the with the 
the vocals. Um, you know, Pavement was a was a more of a contemporary. They weren't influenced, although there's a song written. Um, uh, Stephen Malcolm wrote a song about Royal Trucks on one of his records. Um, yeah, just, just the just the number of great musicians that have listed them as an influence is is very interesting. I know that Cobain was obsessed with them at at one time, and there. Um, and you guys, you know, you mentioned Pavement. Have you guys covered Pavement? I think I've listened to all the back episodes. Have we ever done a Pavement album on here? No, nope. nobody's ever gotten them through the uh, through the polls. Slanted and Enchanted would be, be a great one. In fact, I think Slanted and Enchanted got voted ahead of, Nirv- of Nevermind and Spin. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. Time. I think at one point, I think all those all those magazines and websites have have recalibrated over the years oh, yeah. to to move Nevermind up front. <laughs> they have. <laughs> um, so let's talk about overall ratings for this record, which will include our poll from Patreon. Um, the votes. Well, I won't go that. Uh, we'll, we'll start. Jay, were the album better EP or decent single? Where do you land? I land at an EP. Um, I like half of the song Teeth. <laughs> when it gets heavier, I, I, it starts to lose me. Uh, the Spectre, Skywood, Greenback, Mantra, Up the Sleeve, Hot and Cold Skulls, and Let's Get Lost. So, I don't know, what do I got there? Six? Mm-hmm. Five or six song EP? Um, and I think the other stuff is uh, either like instrumentals or too trippy, like driving in that car is just too weird for me. Um, Aww. I'm sorry. Friends is just backwards noise. You know, there's a couple other songs in there seem like a little less formed. Turn of the Century is kind of interesting when they bring the piano in, but mm-hmm. it also w- makes me wish it, it did something like it's like, ooh, that's really cool. And then it doesn't really go where I want it to go. So. Again, nobody is credited to playing piano <laughs> on this record. It just showed up and played itself. Good job. Uh, I'm also at an EP. I, I do like the last song, Driving the Car. I wish it was a little shorter, but um, I go with that. Let's Get Lost. Hot and Cold Skulls. Um, Skywood, Greenback, and Teeth would be my pick. So I get one, two, three or five i'm at five songs rudy i'm at ep also i like everything except the last song but the last well that's a that's a worthy album that's 10 songs you you get to keep it at 10 songs what 21 minutes for 10 songs or whatever it is i mean i i really i really feel like they threw driving in that car on the end of it just so they could get it over just pad out the uh they make sure that they pad it out yeah yeah they had a contract contractually obligated to be more than 30 minutes for the for the album or something well, you know, we are in sync with our audience over at Patreon. They 63 to 38 voted Battery P over Worthy Album. I think, uh, you know, EPs are are vastly underappreciated. Um, I've been record for our box newsletter. Um, I've done a bunch of EP reviews and I find them much more satisfying uh, when I can just get like five or good, six really good songs. So if, um, if, Daydream, if Daydream Nation would have been an EP, it would have been outstanding there you go well and and bob pollard just put out a new he has a new band called cub scout bowling pins uh it's an ep it's six songs 
Those six songs are 12 minutes. So it actually fits on a seven inch record. You can fit three songs per side. And honestly, I don't need any more from Bob. Yeah. I don't need the triple albums per, you know, three albums per year. Just give me six songs, 12 minutes. Boom. And, and you know, albums were the prom, the most uh, prominent form because of the cost of the media. <laughs> you know, right. it was like, well, like the, the economics of it made sense. Like, oh, we got to put enough music on here to warrant like, you know, a full album because people will pay that much for a full album and APs don't sell. Well, all that's gone now. <laughs> so like, just make a concise, strong statement. And right. Yeah, I think that the, the time for EPs is is now for sure. I'm with you. Uh, I, Jason, you're 100% right, Jason. The, the people need to remember back at the time that this came out, it was a completely different world. And this being able to consume media like we do now is a is a radical change. Um, I remember when the CDs first came out and they were trying to get a premium price for the CDs. So they would throw extra tracks on them or ghost tracks or things, all these things to try to encourage you to spend the money. And I don't know, I'm a little bit older than you guys, but you still remember going down to the to the record store and buying CDs and you had to you had to budget because it was expensive to buy CDs. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Just mm-hmm. download whatever you want. Yeah, it was a major choice for new releases sometimes. <laughs> like, yeah, I mowed lawns for, you know, a week. I got 20 bucks here. What am I going to spend it on? <laughs> I get one, I got one CD to pick. It better yeah, be good. That's a radical change. Cause it, is, I mean, if you really think about it, I know we take it for granted after a while, but, and then the stuff that they would, you know, how they would sell an entire CD based off of one good song, you'd buy the, the CD and everything else on it was nothing like the one song you liked. Yeah. I mean, those, that's stuff that, these kids today will never understand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about it. The CD, because of its of its width and, and its size, it's, it's what's like seventy seven minutes. That's what you put, you can fit onto a CD. Why didn't they just make them smaller? <laughs> well, they used to have the mini CDs. The, the yeah, they CDs, tried uh, yeah. for a minute. Like they could have made the 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 disc man smaller. Everything could have just been smaller. <laughs> And you could have shrunk the albums down to everybody had to make an EP rather than an album. I think I should have been in those meetings when they were deciding that. You'd you'd be Steve Jobs now. I would be. There you go. (laughs) It was probably made on uh, some decision like, okay, what's the biggest selling record of all time? Like Eagles Greatest Hits. Can you fit that on a CD? Yes or no? (laughs) Like that will determine the length of the CD. I didn't think about that. What's the wall? Yeah, it was, I'm sure it was like one of those points of reference of like, okay, well, how long is it going to be? Yeah. Well, you guys, it, the wall. Of course, the, the Eagles screw up. You guys probably aren't old enough to remember eight tracks. That was that was that was listening enjoyment there. When it was, my yeah. first car had an eight track. Did it? No. Nope. Yeah. That was great when it would cut out right in the middle of a whole lot of love and then don't <laughs> go to the next track right at the best part. <laughs> yeah, that was. So there's some technology to be nostalgic over. That is not one to be yeah. like, well, those were the days. <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. reason, the reason I chose this album, I so I was going to, uh, I was going to have a uh, do Belly's Star album, which is one of my favorite albums ever. But I thought I wanted to do something a little bit more offbeat. So, and I'm I'm glad I picked one that you guys had never listened to before. And this is a band that we needed to talk about. So. Yeah, because it's an interesting aspect of the 90s that we haven't really covered. Yep. So thank you. Yeah, it was great to be on with you guys. Um, I want to remind our listeners, both new and uh, veteran, that if you want to support the podcast, you can go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com 
and join the Dig Me Out Union. It's there that we put up polls for the albums we're going to review, and we put up polls for albums that are suggested at digmeoutpodcast.com. You go to suggest an album, you drop, drop the name of an album along with a little reason why you want to suggest it, and then it goes into our calculating machine that spits out nine albums once a month, and uh, everybody votes on those. And then we do a, an episode. And if you join us at uh, one of the higher tiers, you can suggest a, a record and come on or uh, pick one of our roundtables, our exclusive 80s episodes, which um, speaking of EPs, I think there might be an EP winning our current 80s poll. Uh, I haven't checked recently, but it was uh, an EP. We had an e- we had EPs come up recently, both in our 80s and 90s episodes. So our, our polls. So uh, we're going to just have to do a whole set separate podcast of 10 minute long episodes covering EPs so that we can uh, cover all those. The EP is still winning. Two is days it? left. Yep. There you go. Scratch so maybe, acid berserker EP. Yeah. Um, also want to mention the box newsletter, which uh, at the top of the show brought up that we've been reviewing some EPs there. We'll get to some records as well. But if you'd like to join us uh, at uh, Patreon, you can listen to it that way. You can also subscribe to the Box Newsletter. Each week, we send out reviews, a couple of one-minute reviews of new records from the 80s and 90s or TV shows or movies or books uh, delivered to your doorstep each week via the, uh, the interwebs. And then lastly, Apple Podcasts is where you go if you like the show and you want to leave us some positive feedback. That's it. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. And an atomic guide.